1: Hello and welcome to episode seventy-two of the Terrible Book Club. I'm Chris, and this is Paris. Hello. This time we read *The Silent Patient* by Alex Michalides. But Michaelides. Mich- 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 it's Michalides. I'm bad with this. Yeah, it's, 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 it's
0: Michalides. He's he's uh, from Cyprus.
1: So, <laughs> um, this was a, sw- a request, uh, not by a patron, but by my partner and she she wanted us to read this because she for what she's a heavy reader. I would say she reads a lot of books and after she read this, she basically threw it in my lap and said you should do this for the show because it was the worst book I've ever read. So
0: <laughs> Wait, did was she assigned this book or No, no, oh, okay. she
1: just read this for pleasure, which is a horrific fate.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine picking this up and being like yeah, all right, I'm going to read this great thriller. <laughs> And then having it end and being like, God
1: damn it. Why did I spend $15 on this? A a reason she might have picked this up is because this is a... uh uh, psychology-based thriller of sorts and she has some background in that sort of work I'm not gonna get super specific about it but she has some experience in this area and perhaps she wanted to read a book that was you know re- relatable to her experiences and it was not relatable to her experiences
0: yeah so I know we don't want to get too into it but uh you know she has a she has a couple degrees, working on another one, and she's getting her you know, second
1: master's degree. I have to call her master twice. I think is what that means.
0: Is she d- double master?
1: Yes, I have to call her double master.
0: Double mistress.
1: Double mistress is is going to be her technical, uh, doctor name. I I think I have to call her Doctor Double Mistress Rebecca. <laughs>
0: this is like there's gonna there's definitely a mixed drink called Doctor Double Mistress. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to uh, figure
1: out what those ingredients are sometime.
0: Oh, you know what that so- sounds like a, a character from the venture brothers, Dr. Double mistress.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know what that fits?
0: Dr. Double mistress, Rebecca. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah. So thank you, Rebecca for recommending this. And also, support- uh, excuse you.
1: Thank you. Dr. Double mistress Re- refer to her by her earned titles. Please. It's true.
0: She'll come for me. if I don't. <laughs> She'll come for me with a fucking syringe full of morphine.
1: You know, I, I, I don't think she's. I don't think they would allow her to touch morphine. That's not the ki- back kind of background she has. <laughs>
0: uh, anyhow, if uh if you haven't figured it out yet, or if this is for some reason the first time you're listening to this show, uh, what we do here at the Terrible Book Club is we read books that we assume will be bad, uh, and we make these assumptions based on either a recommendation, uh, or simply based on their cover, title, summary, or some combination of those things. So. Unlike a lot of other shows where they read books they think, well, they will like, we specifically read books that we would never otherwise pick up, kind of, you know, in our normal reading habits. Um, And usually this experiment results in a disappointing read, but, you know, once in a while we're wrong and we do like the book. Uh, Of course, today we did not like this book.
1: No, I, I got, this was probably the maddest I've gotten at a book in a while, actually.
0: I don't know, Chris. I remember when we, what was that, like 20 episodes, 22 episodes ago, when we read that Supposed screenplay and your brain basically fucking melted. I'll oh, yeah, that it was the space one. That to was God, a, space yeah. batteries. I don't know yeah. what it's called. The,
1: yeah, it's it's just a blur of images in my head. Uh, that one melted my brain and like got me upset. But this one committed like a writing sin that I have not seen committed so flagrantly before. And I think that's what got me super upset. I, the thing is, I don't know exactly when we should reveal this horrible misuse of of a writer's pen.
0: Well, I think, uh, I think let's get through some basics first, and then we can talk about the content. So,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, content warning right up front. Uh, so, you know, in addition to our usual barnyard language here on the show, Chris and I speak very casually, and we swear, as, you know, people do in a casual setting, um, we have this week descriptions of assaults um, and abuse we have break-ins, like home invasions, drug use, uh, murder, and flagrant ethical violations <laughs> in professional and client interactions. So, if you um, if you can't handle any of that, you know maybe choose a different episode or just skip this week. <laughs>
1: Maybe you're okay with all the murders and whatnot, but the ethical violations are just too much. And they kind of, honestly, those are probably the most egregious oh, thing.
0: Yeah, honestly, I mean, that to me, I feel like that would be more tr- That would, <laughs> could potentially trigger more people since I'm sure yes. a lot of people have had to experience that, which yes. sucks. Uh, so <clears throat> the summary for The Silent Patient is thus The Silent Patient is a shocking psychological thriller of a woman's act of violence against her husband and of the therapist obsessed with uncovering her motive. Alicia Berenson's life is seemingly perfect. A famous painter married to an in-demand fashion photographer, she lives in a grand house with big windows overlooking a park in one of London's most desirable areas. One evening, her husband Gabriel returns home late from a fashion shoot, and Alicia shoots him five times in the face and then never speaks another word. Alicia's refusal to talk or give any kind of explanation turns a domestic tragedy into something far grander, a mystery that captures the public imagination and casts Alicia into notoriety. The price of her art skyrockets and she, the silent patient is hidden away from the tabloids and spotlight at the Grove, a secure forensic unit in North London. Theo Faber is a criminal psychotherapist who has waited a long time for the opportunity to work with Alicia. His determination to get her to talk and unravel the mystery of why she shot her husband, takes him down a twisting path into his own motivations, a search for the truth that threatens to consume him.
1: Um, Can I... A thing I didn't notice before, but I want to point out now, is that this author's idea of a seemingly perfect life, there's two details that are (laughs) basically highlighted here. One of them is a famous husband... And big windows, apparently (laughs) number two. Yo, that's number two, right? Big house big
0: windows in a park in London, your house thing.
1: Specifically the the bigness of the windows (laughs) is pointed out as what
0: I mean, hey man, I like big windows. Like, you know, I get it. You can afford, like, eat that shit, you know. It's Second
1: on the list. It's I just (laughs) like that's no okay. Good husband, big windows. That's
0: thing number two. This this obviously this book is written for a you know, a general mass audience, so that sort of thing doesn't surprise me, uh yeah, it is a little. <laughs>
1: That's how you connect with shallow. those people that, that can't afford no big windows they
0: <laughs> uh so uh the so we have our, our main characters, um Theo Faber, he is the he is the protagonist. he is the person uh through whom we view everything. Uh, so we are inside his head. This is an important thing very important. to fucking remember. Very,
1: very important that we're seeing this through his first person perspective.
0: We are in his head. He is not telling this story to anyone. He is not writing this down. It's
1: not a journal no. or a diary. <sighs> nope.
0: Just in his mind. Doctor's
1: notes of session notes or nope. anything.
0: Just remember. An internal
1: monologue.
0: This is Theo's internal monologue. Uh, he is a psychotherapist. Um you know, and he at the beginning of the book explains that he got into psychotherapy because he had an abusive father and tried to kill himself as a young person uh, and had to, then went to therapy and eventually got better after going to therapy and decided he wanted to uh, also try this out. Uh, we kind of have a little bit of uh, that, that you know, that thing authors do where they insert themselves into the main character Uh, Because turns out the author himself worked in a psychiatric unit and did some post, I think postdoc or postgrad work in um, in therapy. So, you know, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say it's a total insert, but, you know, just let's keep that in mind. The author has a couple of years, supposedly, of, um, you know, experience with therapy in this way. So... Consider that as well.
1: Just to file that one away too. Yep.
0: Uh, Alicia Berenson. She is our, uh, as Chris writes in the notes, our titular silent patient. Uh, you know, she hasn't spoken since the night of her husband's murder, which she committed. Uh, she, uh, there's no details given. All you know is that she shot him five times in the face and no one has any idea why. Um uh, Gabriel is Alicia's husband, who she shot in the face.
1: <laughs> That's pretty much... I mean, he's in the That's book to it. be shot in the face. He is, That's yeah. kind of his function.
0: Uh, he has, I think he gets one other scene that we can talk about later. Yeah,
1: there's like one or two, but, but um, mostly he gets shot in the face.
0: Um, there's also various staff at the Grove, the psychiatric facility uh, wherein Alicia is committed. Uh, there's Christian, who's the... I don't know. He's yeah. He's like a rival to Theo, uh, and Dira, who is like Theo's friend there. Diomedes, Diomedes, sorry, who is the um, the director of the facility, and Yuri, who is another nurse. There are also other patients, but they really only focus on Elif or Elif, uh, who is just this big, tough, violent, angry lady who, yeah, I don't know, they tend to... That's really all she is in the book,
1: is she's the violent patient force.
0: So, yeah, so I don't know if we want to just address this right away, maybe, um, for folks who maybe want a little more detail on content warnings and and trigger warnings. This book... is not kind to those with mental illness.
1: <laughs> it's very much not, which is alarming because of the author's supposed psychotherapy background. And yeah. there's a lot of notes that Rebecca provided for us uh, with for this episode here that I'm probably going to pull from uh, at different points of the episode. And immediately from her background in, in this area, she notes that, that a, a lot of the way... A lot of the ways that the patients are presented are in this very lazy surface level interpretation of how, the way patients are and the way that their care providers interact with them. It feels more like, in her words, a law ep- an episode of Law and Order than <laughs> yeah, actual think, interactions between patients and care providers.
0: Yeah, I think I think one of Rebecca's notes said that uh, the patients are like pathologized, right? It's like. Yes. They're just treated as though they are themselves the illness that they have, and they have no humanity, and they act in very stereotypical ways. Like, there's there's this element of constant vigilance because, oh, the patients are so dangerous, and they're going to be so violent all the time. And, like, look, I understand that that is a reality, um, especially if you're in, like, a secure unit that requires, you know, um, clearance and security access and all that stuff, but... I mean, entertainment media and just even, I would say even, like, general news reporting focuses way too much on that stuff already. Like, we don't need any more of a focus on, hey, if you have a mental illness, you're dangerous and violent. Like, I just, that's such a shallow and weird thing to, to continue to perpetuate in this. I mean, this book, this book was published in 2018, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, really recently. It's
0: very new, which which is weird for us. We usually don't. We tend not to read very new things, but um, so yeah, it was just kind of an upsetting or uh, disappointing p- uh angle to take.
1: Yeah, another point that's kind of related to this that Rebecca brought up is the fact that uh, this is kind of coming whenever I say, I mean, how do I phrase this? Let me think. I might have to edit this part out later.
0: That's okay. I mean, uh, we have that ability.
1: She feels like in books that focus on the perspective of a healthcare provider, you get more glimpses of that character interacting with other patients besides maybe the main one that the crux of the story is based around of. So you get a feel more of how that care provider works with others and not just in this one focused instance. So you get a deeper understanding of their role and how they interact and how they're supposed to interact with patients, even if this... One uh, interaction is supposed to be uh, not ethical or not above board or something like that. But we really don't get that much of this in this book. It mostly focuses on Theo's interactions with Alicia only. You get a little bit of him interacting with Elif but even that is not a super above board or the right way to do things. And well, the whole, you know, Theo as a whole is just ethically bankrupt.
0: <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like Yeah, I I mean, I don't I don't want to stray too far from this point that we're making, yeah, but yeah. I will take a second to say I hated Theo from the first oh, page.
1: Yeah, he sucks.
0: So, I think actually I guess I guess in that respect the author did a good job of making sure that we hated him, but um Anyway, Theo sucks. the The protagonist, the main character, is just he's just an insufferable bro. I just hated him the whole way through. But um, yeah, I just this whole the whole thing this whole framing in the book of dangerous, violent, mental, mentally ill people was just like, come on, dude, what is it like seventeen twenty? Like, come on, this isn't. I don't know. I'm not. I I don't know. And again, I'm not not trying to sit here and say like that isn't the case for for a fair portion of folks that have severe mental illness that does cause them to be um, aggressive and violent. But I just, like I said, I just think we don't, we don't really need more of a focus on that because that's kind of the only thing anyone ever focuses on in, yeah, in media or news reporting. So it's like, can we not? Like, can and, we... and
1: that being the only type of patient we're presented with. There's like yeah, one exactly. group therapy session when Theo walks into the Grove for the first time where there's other patients sitting around the room not being violent. But then for the rest of the book, it's just Alicia being silent or violent or Elif just basically punching people or throwing them around.
0: Yeah. Um yeah, I just I mean and in, in, in this kind of uh this kind of a portrayal further demonizes mental illness and makes people feel less comfortable seeking help um if they feel like they do have a problem. So yeah, I, I think this is a very problematic viewpoint and setting and framing for a story like this, because you could easily have humanized everyone you know, given more depth to the other patients and the therapists that are working with them. Uh, but this book was pretty... I mean, it's pretty short. It's just under 300 pages. But, the you know, the font was kind of large. The, you know, it's like a mass market printing. There's um, a lot
1: of chapter breaks.
0: A lot of chapter breaks and, and some section breaks. So I think, yeah, I think 297 pages is actually quite generous. I think if it was printed... As like a mass market paperback with a typical, uh what is like font size and no breaks. It would probably be like 220, but, and we're just bringing this up to say that, you know, it's not a very long book Um and the things that the author does spend a lot of time on, I feel don't actually help, like all the diary entries that are in here actually don't help advance the story at all, which is like no. hilarious. <laughs> <I> <laughs> no, just it like, really doesn't. Uh, so, <clears throat> The diary entries are just red herrings, the whole, like, the whole time.
1: Um, so <laughs> I would say that this is a full serving of red herrings, Paris. <laughs> just, this is nothing but.
0: Just a full, it's a full can,
1: just, like, opened and uh, upended over whatever your plate is. There's nothing else as a part of this meal. <laughs> just someone give you a big old herring lunch.
0: I don't know why that's such a funny thing to imagine. <laughs> that's what this heard. author has
1: done to us and why I'm so mad.
0: <laughs> oh, just just a big smelly can of
1: redfish.
0: <laughs> so, Not
1: even the good Swedish fish candy kind. It's no. just, is that what a red herring would be? Would a red herring just be Swedish fish? Oh
0: my God. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's what that's what that candy really is, is just misdirection.
0: I'm drinking a red beer right now, Chris. I'm actually drinking a can of red liquid. <laughs> oh. It's just
1: misleading you.
0: Well, actually, it's it's a delightful um it's a delightful sour. It's called the Leitmotiv Cranberry. Ooh, by, uh, musical. Yeah, I think that's actually subconsciously why I picked it up. Uh
1: I might have to try that one.
0: It is uh, by Exhibit A Brewing in Framingham, Massachusetts, actually. I've never heard of this place. Uh, but I saw the cranberry, and I saw that it was called Leitmotiv, so I picked it up. It's um, it's a kettle sour. Uh, it's brewed with Belgian yeast, uh, some lactobacillus. <laughs> this episode's
1: sponsored <laughs> by Exhibit A Brewing.
0: <laughs> and fermented with Cape Cod cranberries and dried hibiscus flowers. So uh, thank you, uh, thank you, Exhibit A Brewing Company, for accidentally providing me with a fitting beverage for tonight's episode. Uh, you'll never hear this. I nope. don't know. Maybe I'll say we're this. not even
1: going to get paid for it. So thanks for <laughs> yeah. chewing that ad.
0: <laughs> it's fine. I don't. I honestly don't mind promoting things if I genuinely like them. This is a very yeah. fine, middle of the road refreshing <laughs> sour with you know cranberry based. Uh, so yeah. Anyway. Anyway, it's gonna enough of that red
1: this. herring of a conversation that's going to have no impact on the rest of the podcast.
0: No, it's keeping me going. Um, mm, tart. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Well, with that, let's get back into this sour plot. Oh. Uh, oh.
0: So, so we talked about one of the major issues in the book, uh, which is that mental illness is treated. You know, mental people with mental illness are demonized. Mental illness is treated as, you know, only violence and aggression and bad. And blah blah. blah. Um, so, main plot points. So you immediately hate Theo because it's pretty obvious that he's super obsessed with Alicia. And that's all he thinks about is, oh man, I gotta, I gotta fix her. I gotta figure it out. She's been silent ever since she killed her husband. I'm going to be the one. To, I'm going to be the one to crack this egg. Like, I'm going to be the one.
1: <laughs> like, immediately step one, an unethical approach to how to do this, where you're just treating a patient as a puzzle box that you must solve for your own personal, I don't know, getting your rock. Well, that's how it's presented, is that he just wants to do this because, oh, she's this ultimate uh, puzzle to solve for Theo. And if he could do it, he could prove that he's a really good psychotherapist.
0: In our final round of psychotherapy... We have the, the final boss, the silent patient. Yes. And if Theo can how, beat.
1: How are you supposed to th- provide care to someone, provide therapy when they can't even talk to you? The final test.
0: Yeah, and honestly, I was like, this is pretty common. There's plenty of people who are nonverbal who need mental health care. So, like, I don't know why this is treated as, like, the be-all. that. Like I said, the final boss of psychotherapy is Alicia Berenson. I mean, it's obvious that Theo is kind of a star fucker, right? And just wants to do this because he wants to be close to someone who's famous and get notoriety and also become famous himself. Um and yeah, so the book starts with him going I got to I got to do this. I'm going to quit my job and a, or a job finally opened up at the Grove where she is um, you know, basically being cared for, held, cared for. I, yeah. I don't, I don't know that she's being held there willfully because she murdered someone. Um, and he applies for the job and gets it. And immediately I was like, whoa, 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 back the fuck up. I'm sorry, what? What? Like, wait, this murder happened six years ago, but now you're really intent on, like, figuring it out and helping her? Like, I didn't, I thought the gap in time was very strange. I don't know, how, did you feel
1: that was odd as well? Yeah, I would guess that's just how long he had to wait for a position to open up there. A lot of the the beginning of the book mentions that oh, the Grove is on its last legs. There's like an administrator there who's representing the interests of people providing the the financial upholding for the for the Grove and she you know that they're running out of the patience there they're gonna shut the whole thing down and that's kind of like this time pressure element that Theo has from his supervisor Diomedes where he's like oh you know we're probably gonna get shut down anyway by the way Diomedes as a whole I don't get that guy he's just in his office all the time Theo walks in, he, he's basically like, I'm going to try this like weird bullshit that should not pass any ethical standard whatsoever. And he's like, hmm, that's a great idea, Theo. Why don't you do that? I think we have to think outside the box with our patients. Meanwhile, he's got a bunch of like harps and instruments set up in his office because he thinks music is healing and he's just pulling like, patients in there sometimes to play music. <laughs> like, he's trying to set up some kind of bands because he couldn't make it elsewhere. He's not I a very good supervisor. She's not, uh, clearly, he he must have been, like, a bad musician. He couldn't hang with any other bands. So he was like, you know what? I'll bring my harp in here, and we'll just get people, all my patients, to play over here. And that's to- that's totally going to work. Yeah, Theo, why don't you go meet up with the, the the patient's family? That'll work. No, I won't make you fill out any kind of release form, which is a point that... My partner brought up in her notes that if you're talking to a family of a patient, you absolutely have to sign a release form.
0: I mean, this this, is... this was in England. It's obviously, you know, they probably have different rules, but I imagine it's something similar, If you know.
1: Yeah, sorry. I went off real hard right there.
0: It seems a little cavalier to be like, I mean, and, and Theo does mention in the book, oh, I know I'm not really supposed to talk to them, but I'm gonna, you know. I mean, so it is noted that this is not. An okay thing to do, and in fact, Theo does it so that you you don't you know you you develop a dislike for him and understand that he is constantly pushing boundaries. Um, but like you said, Diomedes or diomedes or whatever the director does seem pretty like fine with all these things that
1: (laughs) he's just up in his office like "Mm, yes that sounds lovely theo why don't you go fuck up the idea of (laughs) psychotherapy ethics some more i'll just be tinkling (laughs) the guts over here that's what i call playing the harp let me tell you
0: i got a sonata to finish come back (laughs) later oh yeah doesn't he like one time he walks in and uh diomedes is napping like, yes. he just <laughs> wakes up the director of this fucking hospital for from a nap, for nap, and I'm like, what? Um, I
1: don't think there's, like, 24-hour shifts in a psychotherapy unit.
0: No, because they already said that. they're, like, running out of patients, so I don't yeah. know why. <laughs> uh, yeah, but- I just had
1: to sit here in the office and get a couple more tunes out. I was waiting for Elif to come in. She, she and I were working the whole night over here. That's why she's so upset today. We couldn't get a nice groove going.
0: She's a Brilliant oboe player. Brilliant. Uh, <laughs> No, but that's that's true. I actually did forget about the fact that he was like, "Oh yes, I have all these musical instruments because I invite everyone, patient and coworker alike, to come and play with me." And I, I did forget that, that happened.
1: Please be a part of my harp band. <laughs> I can't find anyone to play with me.
0: No, Chris, Chris there. Are, it's not just a harp. I don't know why you're harping on the harp. <laughs> there is, is
1: Well, like, that's what you do with the harp.
0: Oh Jesus. Uh, so so yeah, as as Chris was talking about before, we kind of got off on this tangent about other ridiculous shit. You know, Theo gets there and immediately it becomes Psychiatric Survivor where it's like today on Psychiatric Survivor. Theo Faber has only six weeks to make artistic murderer Alicia talk. Can he do it? Like smash cut to montage. This we- like, yeah. I-
1: this week he tries just going up to her old family's house without asking anyone or doing <laughs> anything like that. Next week he's going to just try walking up to her old gallery provider. I don't know what you would call the person that like hangs Ga- the paintings. Gallerist? For, I don't know. Her friend. Gallerician.
0: Her- <laughs> It was her her old best friend uh, and gallerist. I don't know. I'm not really sure. That's a word. I'm going to check the internet real quick.
1: Galorian. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah. Just like every. Oh no. That's
0: that's literally what it is. Okay. Okay. I feel I feel less bad. Is
1: is it gallerist? Yes. I was correct. Oh, there you go. Well, we learned something new. so those of you with gallerist friends now you know what to call them.
0: I actually do know someone who is a gallerist, and I think that's why it was in my mind. I just realized that. Uh, anyway, yeah, so he gets there, and it, yeah, it, it just becomes this weird, like, all right, you and all the other providers are like, all right, we have six weeks. Like, we have six weeks. Theo's going to save this facility. He's going to save Alicia Berenson. All right, break. <sighs> like, Yeah, I don't they know, all like,
1: just, <laughs> like, so except weird. for Christian, who's kind of skeptical because he just has to be the rival care provider, even though he didn't really do, like... <laughs> Theo makes reference to having worked with him before and just kind of not liking his attitude as if he's a because sh- he he thinks he's like a shitty care provider, which is fucking hilarious coming from the guy that every other chapter is like, man, I know I shouldn't do this. I'm going to do it.
0: Yeah. Also, uh, I gave up my successful career to take a job at a crumbling facility that's literally going to close in a few months so I can get close to a celebrity patient and become famous. But yeah, that other guy, I don't know, yeah, I don't Christian's like him. Yeah,
1: Christian's the jerk here.
0: <laughs> yeah, didn't he not like he was like he and he admit Theo admits like Oh yeah, we actually barely worked together, but I just don't like him.
1: Yeah. <laughs> You're
0: just like okay. Um yeah, I mean so interwoven with uh, Theo's experience at the Grove and treating Alicia, we have uh we have his uh he gives us some background on his life and there's a lot of talk about his wife Kathy and their relationship and then there's a third piece which is Alicia's diary entries which again i feel like just fluffed out this book and provided so they i feel like they fluffed out the book and provided no actual content that mattered
1: there's sort Nothing. of the, there's like supposed to be this like dramatic wind up because she starts noticing that someone's following her and everyone's calling her crazy. There's no one, anyone really following you. It's supposed to be the lead up to the murder where you see that she thought she was being stalked by someone and perhaps she really was going crazy. And that's what happened. She snapped after she finally went full bonkers. And that's what caused her to kill her husband, which is again, kind of a shitty portrayal of what could have possibly happened here.
0: Yeah. And so I think, all right, so I get that the diary entries are included, To give you some perspective on someone who is silent in the present time in the book, right? That makes sense. However, the diary entries are written like a screenplay. You get full dialogue, like background, you know, wardrobe. You just get, it's like, it's like you're just reading another section of the book, which doesn't make sense. And it really kind of pulls you out of the element, right? Like you don't feel like you're reading a diary. You feel like you're just reading more of the book. And and the diary entries and Theo's, right, Theo's uh, internal monologue for the rest of the book, they're kind of in the same voice.
1: Like, yeah, I very much.
0: Like, I did not... I could not distinguish between the voice of Alicia's diary and Theo's inner monologue. It just was not different enough. Um, and I get that... So the diary entries would have been fine if A they had been written like diary entries B had been written in a different voice, like in actually in the character of Alicia Uh, C had only included things that were going to help us, um, come to conclusions about, uh, you know, about what really happened. Like Chris, Chris points out, of course, the inclusions of her being stalked, very important. Um, But But not so much
1: like her talking about the coffee shop she likes to hang out at a lot. No,
0: no. I did not need to read about the coffee shop. I didn't need to read about her fighting with her stupid best friend who is also very annoying. Like, I I get that you want to add some color, but in a book this short with this many characters that you need to care about, it's like just was not handled well. uh, It's all there
1: for misdirection is what... this is going to come up later when we yeah. reveal the the sin that I keep alluding oh. to here.
0: I mean, there but, are we've already described many sins.
1: This sure, is- but I'm talking about the writing sin and not the ethical consideration sin. Right. But all of this is misdirection to make you suspect various people in the book. Like, oh, was it her gallerist friend that may- maybe he was stalking her? And that something happened there that triggered this uh, the murder that it wasn't really Alicia, maybe. Maybe like maybe it was someone else that she that she noticed or wrote about in her diary, because she suspects a couple people. There's uh Gabriel's brother Max, who has a thing for her, who she kinda suspects is stalking her at one point. It's all misdirects though.
0: I don't know. honestly though, I didn't feel misdirected. I felt annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> I I was reading this and going, okay, why do I care about this? Why do I? Why is this in here?
1: Because- for me, I kept reading those things and I was like, oh, it's this guy. Oh, something happened with this guy. It's got to be this guy that actually did something.
0: Oh, see, I just felt like if you just give me like one line that's supposed to damn someone, that's not really enough for me to build a case. Like I'm not gonna.
1: Yeah, there isn't much of a, ca- like, and that's why I was jumping around from character to character so much, because I had, like, one tenuous interaction about, uh, oh, like, Max yelled at her once or tried to kiss her when he was drunk, maybe it was him. Oh, her gallerist friend got annoyed with her because she was like, you know, you're kind of, like, in my shit too much, maybe it was him. But that's, like, really thin cases, and then from Theo's perspective, you're kind of getting it from maybe, like, oh, something weird's going on in th- with the kid. I even suspected the, the fucking harp-playing supervisor at one one point somehow <laughs> because he was just such a weirdo in there and i was like,
0: chris, chris just suspects everyone i mean. literally
1: suspected everyone but the uh the true culprit oh let's that's say. funny
0: is i only i immediately was like it's uh, it's obviously this guy <laughs> like, yeah. so we had totally opposite experiences reading this book that's but we, funny. we
1: were both upset by the yeah
0: way. yeah uh so anyway uh t- you know towards the beginning of the book, uh, you know, this is just it's just Theo moving to the Grove and trying to treat Alicia and just doing weird shit to try to get her to talk. Um,
1: I visited your family. What do you think about that is literally a thing that he does. He's just like, yeah. oh, you won't talk? I went up to your old house. How about that?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Which seems so stupid. Oh, he was you like, won't he was talk? Like, hey. I was
1: in your room. Oh,
0: He's like, hey, talk to your aunt you hate. How about <laughs> that?
1: Like, okay. Um. I read all your internet history, huh? You going to talk now? You want to talk yet?
0: You want to talk about your sona, Alicia? No, I'm <laughs> that's, that's not a thing that happens. Uh, so, you know, you come to find out uh, that Alicia's mother, uh, when Alicia was young, I think her mother was 32 at the time, uh, Alicia's mother basically tried to kill both of them by driving their car into a wall.
1: Them being Alicia and her, like, cousin that she lived with?
0: No, 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 no. Just Alicia and her mom.
1: Okay. Uh, That's right. Uh, I forgot about the whole... There was a weird family situation after.
0: Yeah, yeah. Just Alicia and her mom. So obviously, you're gonna have kind of a chip on your shoulder about your mom trying to murder you as a child. Um, So her mom succeeded in murdering herself, of course, uh, but Alicia survived. And Alicia's dad didn't take it very well. And was, a, yeah, was just a jerk about it and basically said, oh, I wish Alicia had died instead of her mom. Uh, so, you know, not a great upbringing. And then Alicia has to live with her horrible aunt and her cousin. And she and her cousin develop a really close, like, brother-sister relationship, basically. Um, so, yeah, so you're like, all right, she had a really abusive childhood. That really sucks. Um, you know, th- there's some really traumatic stuff obviously that would fuck anybody up. Like, your parent trying to kill you, uh, in a murder-suicide, your dad saying he wished you had died, and then getting thrown into the home of an abusive relative. Like, yeah, that would, that would break most people. I I get it. So, you know, you learn these things, and you're like, okay, um, you know, of course, Theo talks about his own past, um, being a just being, I think, physically abused and uh, maybe verbally abused by his father. Um, So they both share that. But weirdly, he never uses that as a therapy technique.
1: No, he never draws upon <laughs> that. There's this whole thing about, like, countertransference. It's oh, yeah, why don't you take that, us away here? Yeah, because yeah. this was uh, one of Rebecca's major notes. Is there's this concept of countertransference that gets brought up in, like, Page 17 of the book, but the way the author puts it is like, oh, as a therapist, what we do is we take the problems of the patients and we absorb them for the patients.
0: He literally says like we cry for them or something Which like that.
1: Which is not at all how you're supposed to handle. It's not like therapists are all like bad feeling sponges that wring themselves out at home every night so that the patient doesn't have to feel the feelings. That's not at all. Why would anyone do that job? (laughs) That's that sounds terrible and like the worst way to interpret therapy. And that's not even what the concept of countertransference is talking about. Um, The way Rebecca put it in her notes is that this is countertransference is about the fact that you know therapists aren't blank slates and they're going to have reactions to the stories they hear and the work they do with their clients. So they do. Take a little bit of some of the emotional weight of things based on just the fact that they're human beings and your interactions with the world aren't an island of themselves, but it's not about literally taking away the bad feelings like some kind of uh, like bad emotion vampire that feeds off it or something or like, <laughs> yeah. so you can heal them. It's, it's, it's about just having the self-awareness to realize that your work with these people has an impact on you and your emotional state, and you need to be cognizant of that. But that's not like the be-all end-all of therapy. It's just a starting point to think about your interactions.
0: Yeah. So that was a thing that came up in the book a lot that seemed very off. Um, and at one point later in the book... Theo hasn't seen his old therapist in like I don't know, three or four years or something. And he just rolls up to her house at ten PM.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and she's it's,
0: just like, Yeah, sick, come on in. And I was like,
1: This I is don't because know. I don't the know reason the he therapist does this. Do that. The reason he goes out and does this is he, <laughs> he discovers his wife has been cheating on him. One day he gets home <laughs> from work.
0: Oh, I gotta find the passage. Oh, I don't know if I can. Go he, go on. He, he,
1: He gets home from work, he's like, oh, my wife's not home, time to get high, and he busts out the weed he hid in the house, which is like, a a little, like, you can't just tell you, his excuse is that she finds it gross, that he would, you know, she would find him immature for it, and when she actually discovers that he's still smoking weed later on in the book, that's the attitude that she has so he hi you know he's got i oh, we got the house to myself time to smoke up he does that and he notices his wife's laptop is open and her email is still out fucking amateur move lady oh. <laughs> and, and then he just finds a series of emails oh, between let me, her let me just between, me just, between me just, her and uh mean no no
0: no 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 let me do,
1: <laughs> okay do you want to be the one to, to say what the email handle is
0: oh, no Chris why don't why don't you why don't you go ahead
1: Um, It's between Kathy and Bad Boy 22 (laughs) having flirtatious conversations back and forth and talking about how they fucked in public a bunch.
0: So, subject, read, Little Miss Fuck, from (laughs) Catarama underscore one to Bad Boy 22. I'm on the bus, so horny for you, I can smell you on me, I feel like a slut, KXX, sent from my iPhone. Subject. Re, 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 little miss fuck. From bad boy 22 to catarama underscore one. You are a slut, lol. See you later after <laughs> rehearsal. And so it's just like four of those back and forth. It's pretty stupid.
1: Um, like text messages, but sent via email. It's like text message vernacular, but sent by email.
0: Yeah, they're just, I mean, they're emails sent via iPhone. Um, yeah, I guess I guess. I wonder why they went email route instead of text messages. I, to try I and hide know. it, but
1: if you're leaving the laptop and the email open, just like on the counter.
0: Yeah, I mean, maybe she just wanted him to see it. I don't know, but um, you know, while we're talking about uh <clears throat> marijuana, <laughs> uh, so this is like another thing that kind of made me feel like the book was not written by. A regular, or was, or was like (laughs) written by an AI to try to sound like a regular person. Um, Oh shit, where's the? Sorry, here it is. Um, So, like Chris mentioned a little bit a little bit ago, um, Theo's wife Kathy doesn't like when he smokes weed. Uh, So there's this little anecdote where he talks about weed and how it makes him feel, and I'm gonna read it, and then Chris is gonna let us know if this has any merit. (laughs) I'd been smoking marijuana since university. I first encountered it during my first term, alone and friendless at a fresher party, too paralyzed with fear to initiate a conversation with any of the good-looking and confident young people around me. I was planning my escape when the girl standing next to me offered me something. I thought it was a cigarette until I smelled the spicy, pungent, curling black smoke. Too shy to refuse, I accepted it and brought the joint to my lips. It was badly rolled and coming unstuck, unraveling at the end. The tip was wet and stained red from her lipstick. It tasted different from a cigarette. It was richer, raw, more exotic. I swallowed down the thick smoke and tried not to cough. Initially all I felt was a light, a little light on my feet. Like sex, clearly more fuss was made over marijuana than it merited. Then, a minute or so later, something happened. Something incredible. It was like being drenched in an enormous wave of well-being. I felt safe, relaxed, totally at ease, silly and unself-conscious. That was it. Before long, I was smoking weed every day. It became my best friend, my inspiration, my solace, an endless ritual of rolling, licking, lighting. I would get stoned just from the rustling of rolling papers and the anticipation (laughs) of the warm, intoxicating high. All kinds of theories have been put forward about the origins of addiction. It could be genetic. It could be chemical. It could be psychological. But marijuana was doing something much more than soothing me. Crucially, it altered the way I experienced my emotions. It cradled me and held me like a... uh, held me safe... Like a well-loved child, in other words, it contained me.
1: <laughs> Which is, yes, that's kind of a weird way to put it, man. Yeah,
0: like it just seemed so overwrought, and and I'm not I'm not a, a weed doer, so Chris can, <laughs> uh, you know, that's why I'm gonna tag Chris in on this one.
1: I mean, I can vouch for like the feel the ritual of getting all your, you know, grinding up the weed and like maybe if you're rolling things up that there's a little fun to be had in there, but not like I'm so I'm getting a high off of that alone. There's just sort of the fun ritualistic aspect of doing a task that, you know, might might make you feel OK later. The containment part is interesting to me. Uh, you know sometimes it can take the edge Off of some anxious feelings Maybe And that, and that,
0: is, that is something that he literally says um, You know people need a drink or a joint To take the edge off the endless anxiety And yeah like as somebody Who drinks alcohol I totally get that
1: but to say that it like yeah. alters your how you think emotionally totally is really reaching for it might make you have a different thought or two or let you chase a strand that you might not have chased before for sure but it's it the feelings of well being like maybe the maybe the first one or two times you smoke but then after that it's pretty much just like hungry sleepy a little bit happy maybe a little bit not yeah. even really happy just kind of like all B- right. Fuzzy? Yeah, fuzzy, like good hungry. Fuzzy. Yeah, fuzzy, hungry, sleepy is the best way to describe it.
0: So you become like three dwarves in one. You become sure. become the triple yes. dwarf. Yes. All right. The tri dwarf.
1: <laughs> a more accurate description of how weed makes you feel is becoming a tri dwarf. Yeah, that.
0: <laughs> uh, so. And and the weird thing is, immediately after I stopped reading, there's actually a further explanation that makes it even weirder. Where he talks about a psychoanalyst named W.R. Bion, who came up with the term containment, to describe a mother's ability to manage her baby's pain. Um, and he talks about how being a baby is a time of terror, um, because you're trapped in a strange alien world. You can't see, um... Your body is, like, shitting wait, everywhere, and you don't understand why. You can't why.
1: see. I don't what, know. How, it says, <laughs> wait, babies can see?
0: It says, unable to see properly. Yeah, I don't know what he's talking about, <laughs> actually. That, why does... Wait, does he think a baby and a kitten are the same, that, like, babies I, can't see for six I not, think six babies
1: weeks? can see, but, like, maybe you're yeah, learning to sure. come to terms with visual data.
0: I think sure, maybe that's maybe, But that's they are what still
1: seeing...
0: Yeah, I think maybe you're right. Maybe that's the interpretation we're looking for. But that is hilarious. And I did not notice that during the first read. Woo, um, Just
1: every constant. baby is blind until you, uh, uh, a couple months in when they finally <laughs> open their eyes all the way.
0: Like kittens. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But he's like, he's like, we're under attack. And we're overwhelmed by our own feelings. We need our mother to soothe our distress and make sense of our experience. As she does, we slowly learn how to manage our physical and emotional states on our own, but our ability to contain ourselves directly depends on our mother's ability to contain us. If she had never experienced containment by her own mother, how could she teach us what she did not know? Someone who has never learned to contain himself is plagued by anxious feelings for the rest of his life, feelings that buy on aptly titled Nameless Dread. Such a person endlessly seeks this unquenchable containment from external sources. He needs a drink or a joint to take the edge off this endless anxiety. And I just feel like that's an extremely narrow and simplistic way to talk about um, anxiety, addiction, and neglect in infancy.
1: Yeah, it it reduces everything down to (laughs) one cause and effect, which is not any way to approach any sort of... Anything that's treating something to do with consciousness and mental states—it's always much more complicated than like, oh yeah, your mom didn't, your mom didn't open your eyes quick enough when you was a baby, see, so you was blind for a whole longer time, and that's why you need the joint.
0: Yeah, I just, I just feel like, yes, of course, um, maternal attention is extremely important during infancy and childhood uh, for human beings. It's just for other. Uh, most other mammals maybe Uh, just general affection and attention that's what i'm saying yeah yeah like and sure if you if you are neglected that that will absolutely fuck you up but like making a direct connection between that and anxiety and then substance use or abuse is again like i'm not saying it's it's wildly inappropriate or, or totally wrong it's just again it's a very like linear one way path and I just don't love the way that it is there is no nuance in anything (laughs) in this book excuse me sorry to go on a bit but it's just something that really bugged me Um, anyhow so then he it it gets even weirder actually because then he's like I didn't need weed anymore when I met the love of my life Kathy and I'm just like that's not how that works like you know what I'm not going to, like, it's one thing to say the person that I love really hates when I use the substance. Therefore, I'm going to give it up because I love them more than the substance. But he was like, I didn't even care about smoking anymore, man. Like, love was my drug. <laughs> and you're <were> just like, <laughs> okay. Okay, he's one all of those. Right, buddy. Oh, um, you're one of
1: those people that thinks a romantic relationship is the be-all-end-all fixer of all problems, mental and otherwise. Dude,
0: yeah. I mean, first of all hilarious notion (laughs) uh oh boy oh boy is that not the case um and both theo and you would come to discover alicia also in her diary kind of seems seems like she feels the same way so you deal with these the two people you're focusing on both have this really unhealthy uh fascination with their spouse as like their savior i think alicia says that literally says that Gabriel saved her. Yep. In 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 her diary, in the diary entry at some point. And you know, Theo also talks about Kathy in that way. And uh, Good God! Is this just very unhealthy? Um,
1: I hate it whenever I see this idea pop up. In yeah, any this time is. Hey, immediate. this is.
0: Welcome to another another episode of Chris and Paris Hate Love uh, with your <laughs> host, Chris and Paris Haters of Love. <laughs> um,
1: no, just haters of very reductive and yeah, simplistic I, I and overburdening notions.
0: Of- <laughs> well, I know, and this is coming from. I mean, to be clear, Chris has been in a Chris has been in a committed loving relationship for a while now uh i i'm single so like you have two two very different th- different uh perspectives on this and we both feel the same way so like it's not like it's not like we're both uh it's not like we're both totally jaded only one of us is uh that's <laughs> so you know and we still come at this the, the same way um yeah it's just like
1: but then nothing's ever done to really connect those threads maybe it's just supposed to be so, like a theme thing that you notice But it ends up being all just a a sort of misdirection to what's really going on here.
0: You would, yeah, you would really, you kind of, I was hoping that Theo would eventually find this out. And he actually does get the opportunity to. um, But then, like you said, it's never actually used um, as a therapy technique or or anything. Yeah, not
1: melded into the, the care model or what have you.
0: Yeah, I even... I even would have been fine if it had been woven in as like a as part of Theo's obsession. He's like, Oh, this is why I I need to save her. We're the same. Ah, uh, or something. Um But it isn't. A- anyway, I-, I just feel like the The reason I didn't like it is because it's never addressed as bad. No. So it's never addressed at all and it seems very normal because Two, the two prominent characters both feel this way so yeah it's like another it's yet another thing that i'm like i don't know i don't know how i feel about this um
1: isn't hmm. there also between max uh, that the guy the brother of gabriel and like his secretary isn't there kind of like a oh he saved me thing happening from the secretary with max i, I seem to remember right, a little bit actually. of that happening there too
0: yeah i think actually shit i think you're right Okay, so I think all of this is very intentional by the author. Like Michelides is obviously intended for that. And I and I wonder I hope that he I hope that those elements are there to make people question that kind of um that kind of thought process, right? You know that kind of uh trap you get into where you feel like everything will be alright if only I have partner if only someone loves me romantically um you know i need the idea that you need someone to save you that you cannot just exist that you cannot be your own fucking knight in shining armor um i i certainly hope that it was not that those elements were not there to normalize but to um provoke thought that's my hope yep uh in any case you know, you discover pretty early on that Theo's wife is cheating on him. Um, You know, Alicia is in this mental hospital and after you read her diary you find out that her brother-in-law was like trying to seduce her very unsuccessfully. She wanted nothing to do with him, but he was obsessed with her. Um, So, you know, you're like, okay, there's something weird going on. Um, Theo, I feel like it's very obvious from the get-go that Theo is more involved than he may appear, right? Yeah. Um. So, you know, I felt I guessed I guessed mostly what was going on. Okay, so early. yeah, we're about to
1: get to the big old thing here—big old which, spoiler—which is going to uh, set me off for a bit. So before we light the fuse. I I just want to make the point that there's a couple of times in the Kathy and Theo chapters where it seems like his internal monologue is reacting to things that happened in the Alicia chapters. When he discovers that his wife is cheating on him, um, he starts actually following her around, and he starts... To follow the the man that she's cheating on him with around because he basically watches the fuck in some bushes or stuff. I don't know why they have they they're always fucking outside. Like I think number one thing about like hiding your cheating thing is maybe do it in, in an enclosed space with a lo- like a lock between you or something. But whatever, I'm not going to quibble about that bit. No,
0: that's just I mean that was part of the appeal of this.
1: Yeah, and, uh, and, and right. anyhow, um, and then some of the things in the Alicia chapter seem to be colored by his thoughts about. The, the cheating that he's witnessing there. And there's even some allusions to uh, Alicia trying to seduce him in way. Like, a lot of the other workers in the hospital, some are even like, oh, those types of patients can be very seductive. Be careful, Theo. A- and so you think, Me, I suspected at the start that the whole thing was going to be Theo is going to save her with his penis.
0: Oh, absolutely. The whole, it sets you up from the, just from the, um, the synopsis, like, in the jacket or even on Amazon, like, the whole time you're like, oh, he's gonna fuck that. He wants to fuck that lady. That's fucked up. And, like, it kind of seems like that's gonna happen because every time they meet for a therapy session, they're alone together one-on-one, even though she is supposed to have two-on-one um, observation at all times.
1: Yeah, but Harp supervisor is just like, yes, do whatever you want. This place is going <laughs> down the tubes anyway.
0: Well, no, he doesn't even he doesn't really discuss it with diomedes he um he just tells the other person watching her like nah i got it it's fine and they're like okay i guess i like you theo it's fine like they just relent for no reason um so you think oh they're going to be alone together they're going to bang it's going to be sketchy but they they don't which i was like glad for uh in a lot of ways
1: it was supposed to be like the final ethical boundary he was going to cross is what I th- I felt like that's what I was being set up for.
0: Yeah, I did, too. Um, and there's. Can we talk about the painting?
1: Yeah, we have to talk about a couple of paintings, actually.
0: Oh, shit. Yeah, we actually haven't talked about either of the- we, I don't even think we talked about the no. fact that
1: Alicia's a painter. <laughs> no, we mentioned it, but like, that's what Alicia does. And there's two paintings that are kind of central points to this. Oh, and boy. once again, when I, we're, this is the lighting of the fuse, the, talking about these paintings. And then we're going to say the thing, the bomb is going to go off, and I'm going to get real mad. So <laughs> <laughs> okay. there's two paintings that are sort of in this book. One is the one that uh, she was painting. She painted shortly before she murdered her husband. Uh, right, she painted Alcestis before she murdered her husband.
0: No, it was after.
1: Okay, it was after. Okay, so she paints a painting of a famous figure in a Greek play, right? Or is is it not? Yes, oh,
0: the Alcestis is a Greek play.
1: Um, and it's about oh, check it out. It's, it's by about, Euripides. It's it's by. It, it's about a lady who ha- has to murder her husband because her husband was given some wager that was like, oh, it's no, either you. No, no,
0: no, that's not, no. Okay, I'll let you explain <laughs> it. I'll
1: let you explain it. Let
0: me just describe Alcestis. So, uh, it's played by Euripides, the myth of Alcestis. It's just that um, her husband, whose name I forget, it also starts with an A. Sorry, Greek names. I'm not with it today. Um, you know, for someone who took so, much, so many fucking years of classics, you'd think I would know, but... What happens when you spend all your time in Latin and not Greek? Anyway, um has a husband. And the husband, uh, ah, yes. He is, so uh, he does something cool for, I want to say, it's like Hercules or someone else. Heracles. Um, and somehow, I don't know, some the fates or something are like, you know what? We owe you one. We're going to do you a solid. You know what? Tell you what. If you're ever gonna die, uh we'll let uh we'll let someone else die in your stead. And he's like, sick, sounds great. So he is, you know, gonna die for some reason. And the fates are like, Oh yeah, yo, you can totally cash in that that fucking get out of get out of Hades free card if you want. And he's like, Alright, cool. He's like, Alright, who's gonna die for me? And his his elderly parents are like, Nah. Like nobody <laughs> Nobody wants to die for him, and he's like Shit, well, I'm not gonna die. Like, I have this get out of death <laughs> free card. It what feels the like fuck? a waste to
1: not you. Uh, uh, this is a exactly. Off.
0: exactly. So, Alcestis, his wife, goes in his place to the afterlife because she loves him so. Her love for him is so great that she kills herself so he can live and be happy. And, uh,. So then uh, I forget why she gets brought back. I think one of the deities is like impressed. They're like, oh, shit, that was some real wife shit. You know what? You get (laughs) to go back to life. So somebody saves her. You get the
1: best girl award and that's being revived.
0: Yep. She gets revived and she goes back to live with her husband, but she never speaks again. And I just feel like that's like, this strangling grief knowing that you died for someone you loved so they could be happy um but that you kind of, you you died for them because of their own cowardice basically yeah because they were unwilling to die and would rather let you the person who loved them uh suffer uh you know so it's it's a it's a silence due to a strangling grief like a a, a grief so deep that nothing can nothing can change that and i i don't know that that's comparable to the situation presented in the novel
1: kind of not so and i kind of
0: feel like this dude the author is from cyprus and so obviously the greek greek stuff is i mean that's the i'm sure that he was raised with all of these greek myths and he it seems like he just really wanted to fucking shoehorn this in there you know uh and and the funny thing is i'm not really sure how i'm not sure how we would have done it otherwise because i read in i read an interview i was actually i was trying to make sure i was pronouncing his last name correctly actually and i just happened to glance at this interview and it was like and i really want to thank uma thurman because she's the one that suggested Alicia be a painter, and that's how he became a painter. (laughs) And I was like, "Excuse me? Yeah, this dude's a screenwriter. Turns out, so this this whole like, oh wow, this guy's first book is a real success. Yeah, because he already he's already like basically among the rich and famous. That's why he reads like a
1: cheap thriller. Yes, it makes
0: so much fucking sense.
1: Oh, Oh, okay. And he's like bros with Uma
0: Thurman, so like I'm sure he knows a bunch of other people like. The mist. There is no more mystery about why this is. Uh, okay. Was yeah. Yeah. Maybe
1: he did write a Law and Order SVU episode or oh something. Oh my god!
0: If he has a Law and Order credit, I'm not. Uh, uh, listeners, I'm not going to fuck with you. Like, don't get me wrong. SVU is like one of my fucking guilty pleasures. I, Chris, tell the people what I did this past weekend.
1: You stayed at my house, and I think you watched like three or four episodes in a row when you couldn't sleep.
0: Yeah, I, and then and that was after I had already watched a few earlier with Trisket, uh yes. my my best friend who my other best friend who also lives with Chris. I know. They all live together in the same house. Um Yeah, I basically just sat on the couch and watched us for you. So, to be clear, I am a person who does not know how to fucking take it easy and take a day off and not do shit. So like this was a rarity. Me sitting on a couch and watching television. <laughs> that does not happen. Like I don't do that. So um, uh, anyway, fucking love SVU. Priska yeah. Hargitay for life. Ice tea for life. I'm out.
1: <laughs> You're telling me this patient won't talk ever since she shot her husband in the face? That's ice cold. Some iced tea quotes for it in my very uh, bad iced uh, tea oh, impression. Please let's, anyway,
0: me-
1: <laughs> let's talk about the other look up, painting.
0: Look up the incel episode. There's a smash cut of iced tea. it's really good oh god it's so good i'm crying just thinking about it oh i'm sorry chris go ahead
1: let's talk Uh. about the other painting yes so in addition to the alcestis painting that did did uh,
0: you even describe that
1: i don't think so it was just it was a look hey it's a painter lady painting and then there's a shadowy figure in the background Called Alcestis. I wonder what she could be referring to. Which also Theo, the whole time, he, this is like a central part of the mystery for him. He's like, I wonder what the Alcestis painting means. It's a painter lady painting. And she's like using like a very red blood hue on her painting. What could it mean? And then he finds out what the, happened in the play. And he's still like, what could it mean? And then in some notes that Rebecca has for us, she also like these conversations he has about it. With Diomedes, don't make sense because Diomedes is like, hey, maybe you should like dig deeper into that. It seems like it would be a, a thing that could have some connection. And he's like, I don't know what it could mean. What could it possibly mean? So let's do the big old unraveling here. At, oh, no, there's the other painting. There's the other painting where while she is in the care at the grove under Theo, he gives her access to painter materials again which i guess is this bright new idea even though there's an art therapy person in there he was like oh but what if we let her do it on her own this time brilliant new breakthrough and it's her escaping the hospital that is on fire with a figure also helping her out of the hospital which theo interprets as himself so now with the knowledge of those two paintings the fact that theo was mystified about um, the Alcestis thing, what could it possibly mean? And then Alicia's second painting here uh, towards the back of the book, we come to discover that, oh, Theo, he continues to stalk the the person that his wife is cheating on him with. He goes to uh, the house that this man is in discover that he is married as well. And then that's when Theo makes his choice to break into their house and meet Alicia Berenson for the first time because he ties her up and ties Gabriel up and makes them decide who's going to die.
0: Like, all right, Chris, well, you're the one who's in a relationship right now. Let's let's do this thought experiment. If you came home one day and Rebecca was tied up and some lady was like, She's cheating on you. You have to decide if you want to be free or put up with this shit. Wouldn't you be like, hey, where's your supporting? First of all, get the fuck out of my house. Second of all, (laughs) where's your supporting evidence here? Like, you're just going to believe some person who just fucking broke into your house and like assaulted your spouse? Like, what is your motivation for believing that person? And even if, okay, and even if you're like, okay, maybe I'll... Maybe I'll entertain this idea. You'd still want some kind of evidence, and you probably also wouldn't react by immediately shooting them in the face five times.
1: <laughs> I, yeah,' the <it's> a, a, <laughs> like, real itchy on that trigger figure there was like, sounds like you were looking for an excuse if it was five times, lady.
0: <laughs> well, and I think I think the book tries to explain this by saying, well, she clearly had these other mental health issues. Her father told her she wished she was dead as a child. Her mother tried to kill her. So, like, she's already had a psychic death, man. Like, the book literally says that that... she's already had a psychic death. And I was just like, fuck off. So, they, they try to build up this idea that Alicia is so unstable that this could trigger her to do those things. And, like, I don't know.
1: I don't accept it.
0: I... I don't accept it either because I, I feel like even if yeah I, I don't accept it because a stranger breaking into your house and just yelling your husband cheated at, cheated on you doesn't carry any weight because it's a stranger breaking <laughs> into your house and screaming at and you and
1: assaulting you and tying it's, you up yeah,
0: it's not your sister or your best friend or even like a coworker that you know pretty well it's
1: he doesn't like he didn't like yeah, show her the I... bad boy emails, right? Like that doesn't no. happen. No. Okay, so that's the one part of this that doesn't make sense. Now let's get back to the other crushing reality here is that so Theo's the one that presented this Alcestis uh gambit to Alicia and then she paints a painting called Alcestis and he's like what does it mean and then then he he finds about the out about the plot of the play and he's still like what does it mean in his internal monologue for the whole book that's not I get you're trying to do unreliable narrator oh he was lying to the whole time but he's not writing this in a journal it's just Theo's inner thoughts why is he acting like he doesn't understand did his own yeah, inner thoughts
0: I know like he's not, he's not like he said he's not writing a journal he's not um he's not uh giving an interview he's not talking to a friend he's not interacting with anyone else and like even even that last ditch effort that or that last opportunity he doesn't even have multiple personalities, which is where I thought this was going no all the time. he's
1: just cognizant of it all the time except he's just lying to you, the reader of <laughs> His thoughts? I, I...
0: Yeah, honestly, it's a really cheap deception. I mean, I would have felt cheated if he had multiple personalities, but at least that would have made the writing make sense. Like you said, like, no one is sitting here and uh, that's
1: like... You're supposed it's... to leave some clues... That the narrator isn't reliable or he, something's not on the up and up, but if well, the guy I just mean, doesn't n- understand the the whole painting thing and he's going around thinking like, I really got to solve this mystery, I really have to solve it. What, is it, what could it be? It's so vexing. It leads me to all these ethical boundaries that I cross freely because I have to make her talk. Why does he have to make her talk if he knows what happened?
0: Yeah. I... And also, I was wondering if he waited six years because he was hoping she wouldn't know what he looked like because he wore a mask when he broke into their house, but somehow she recognizes him anyway.
1: Yeah, because she attacks him the first time that they're one-on-one together, pretty much. Yeah. I just, yeah, I don't know. Sorry, continue. And then Alicia, like, painting the painting of Theo bringing her out of the, the, the grove that's on fire... How does, what was the
0: motivation? There? How does
1: that make sense at all? If she knows it was him from the beginning,
0: I think the the only way that I rationalized that was that she was trying to make him believe that she didn't a, she didn't know. And B she was trying to keep him sort of wrapped around her finger. So she would continue to be less medicated and get additional privileges, um, which makes sense to me, but it was kind of a, it was just a stupid inclusion. Like it,
1: because Theo is, like, legitimately like, oh, I, I wonder what this other painting could mean as well. It, it, there's no clues in his inner thoughts that he he knows this is a misdirection. Even though when he, it's like, the revealing part, after she attacked him, he was like, oh, that's when I knew that she definitely knew it was me. Or when she lied, like, she makes up a story, actually, about what happened that night to sort of misdirect him. He's like, I knew she was lying about that. So what was what what is the point of all this? If you were gonna put her in a coma anyway after you got her to talk more? Yeah, because yeah. so like if she was silent the whole time, you wouldn't have had a problem, but then when she starts talking more, you put her in a coma because you're worried about her incriminating you finally.
0: Well, I think I think all of this can be explained, um, because you're supposed to think of Theo as um Somebody who needs to be recognized, uh, you know, needs needs the attention and, um, what's the word I'm looking for, the validation of doing well, being famous or whatever. So I think what happened is his need for that was so great that it overrided his, you know, his need to... Keep it all a secret because he he just thought he had the upper hand and everything, right? Because um, he he had no he had no inclination that she that Alicia knew who he was. Uh so he thought he just had everything under wraps and he could, you know, he could win both prizes. You know, he could. Um, Get away with this weird crime, which I'm not even sure what he would be charged with, other than home invasion, uh, because she ultimately. They, you know what's? You know, confusing. So he handled the gun before he handed it to her. Did they not run his prints?
1: Unless you have a previous criminal record, the prints won't return anything.
0: Yeah, but, uh, I guess yeah, I guess I don't know how England works. This this does take place in London, in and around London, so I don't know. Um but yeah i i just yeah so i think that we're meant to believe that yeah his his need for notoriety and his obsession with getting credit for solving this is greater than his than his concern about being found out for the crime because it's been 6 years she doesn't give it away that she knows who he is i don't know it is it's still weird cuz like You'd think he'd just want to get away with... Why does he crime. bother
1: going to like all these... Like her family's place and her gallerist's place, and be like, "Why doesn't she talk? Do you know why? I need to figure out the mystery of why she doesn't talk. You fucking know why she doesn't talk."
0: Yeah, I, that. Yeah. So I why are you going to all these places?
1: Like he he basically goes to these places just to say he went to these places at Alicia as if that's going to force her to talk. His whole strategy is like, "Hey, I I, I saw your I, I saw your cousin the other day. Uh-uh. Uh, What do you think well, about that?" he told me about your dad
0: i think maybe he's doing it just to make it seem like he's really not involved and really doesn't know but again if we are just in his inner monologue why are we presented with it as though he doesn't know like why is he lying to himself constantly 24 7
1: And and again, it's not a multiple personality (laughs) fugue state thing. At the end end of the book, he's like, "Yeah, it really was me the whole time. It was just." And also, the the time thing between the Kathy and Theo interaction chapters—it's really, really, really modeled to make it look like he was coming home from work from the Grove back to Kathy at the same time. Because a lot there's a lot of like. Stuff from that; those interactions coloring his thoughts at the grove and vice versa. Maybe on a second read, I might come to find that it was it was a little bit more obvious, but it really is meant to be built out like that. And that, combined with all the other misdirections of, like, all these other dudes that are in Alicia's life, it's really just th- that plate of red herrings that we I told you about being served at the top of this podcast.
0: Yeah, I, um, and I honestly don't even know what the utility of the, the two timelines really was. I mean, other than to, to trick you, which, to I, which I'm fine with. Like, like I said, I, I've said this before. I don't like books that serve you everything on a silver platter. I do want to be challenged. I do want to be made to think. That being said, as you brought up earlier, you need to leave a crumb, a tr- little bit of a trail of breadcrumbs if you don't give anyone anything, then you just feel tricked at the end of the book.
1: Yeah, there's no um, no trail to be followed here. All the trails are leading you down towards that one path of like, oh, Thea was going to get seduced by her. Or it was one of these dudes that made her do something or, you know, was stalking her or something. But, but then to just pull the rug out from you on entirely and be like, no, all those inner monologue things were just lies to you the reader, even though you're supposed to understand it as his internal monologue, it, it, it feels cheap. And it's, it's the most flagrant misuse of Unreliable Narrator that I've ever seen. Unreliable Narrator is supposed to be that person also rationalizing to themselves.
0: Yeah, dude, Unreliable Narrator is, has been done so well in so many other books. I mean, you know, Fight Club is a good example. Um... House of Leaves, great example. It's got a couple of, couple of ish, you know, things like that. Uh, I'm sure there there are many others.
1: Um, Yeah, and they're also. Sorry, go ahead. In in those books, it's not like you were given a bunch of things that completely make you think in one direction, and then the rug is pulled out from under you. No, there's sort of things laid out there that are supposed to clue you in on the deeper mystery or whatever is supposed to be happening underneath that character's thoughts.
0: Yeah, so, yeah, so you, so, uh, sorry. I know we've been we've been kind of talk, kind of dancing around it, but there are the chapters are actually there are actually two different timelines happening. Where like you're in the past when Theo discovered that Kathy was cheating on him and then started stalking Gabriel and Alicia, and then there are the chapters in the present where he is at the Grove working with Alicia seven years later, approximately. Um, but yeah, like Chris said, there's no a real way to know that and i also don't even know
1: what's the tip what off the
0: utility is other than just tricking the reader what
1: possible way could you have to think that aside from the fact that theo is a dickhead right like is that just the whole thing it's supposed to be like oh wow he's such an asshole he has to be the one that did this
0: i mean like i said the author did do a good job of making me immediately and for the entire book dislike theo
1: is it like the weed use? Oh, he's immature and still smoking <laughs> weed. That must be a younger Theo.
0: That I think that's supposed to be one of the tip-offs, but I didn't I didn't catch that. I mean, there's even like there's like even towards the beginning of the book when Theo is at the grove and he's talking to Yuri, the one of the other nurses, or one of the nurses and he's like and the nurse is like, "Hey man, you should maybe stop being so obsessed with this patient and just go home to your wife." And he's like, yeah, what's your wife's name? And Theo's like, oh, Catherine, but she goes by Kathy. And I'm just like, and then the next chapter is like him and Kathy. And I'm just like, okay. Uh, I mean, are they So they're still married?
1: No, they must have, they must have separated. No, I don't think that that's clear. I think he just like kept living. Like, oh, he just knew she cheated. And he mur- He he made Alicia murder her husband instead of him having to deal with anything. Is that? Oh my what... god!
0: I actually didn't consider that. Is that I've what? I kind of forgot about the fact that by him dying, it kind of takes care of that problem, right? But like, wouldn't his wife have been super distraught if the guy she was cheating on him with was shot in the face a bunch of times? <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, And then comes to find out that her husband is treating the woman, because uh, right. her husband would have been brought up in articles and stuff, and she'd be like, oh, that's that dude I fucked in the bushes a bunch.
0: Yeah. Wouldn't
1: that weird her out a little bit?
0: <laughs> yeah, and then, like... When, uh, yeah, actually, no, they are still married, because remember at the end, he's like, ah, oh, she's kind of fat now and eats chips on the couch, but whatever, we're still together. I mean, Yeah, so... That, that definitely is at the end of the book. I just realized that.
1: So so and it then, really is then, mis- made to set, set you up like, oh, he's still with Kathy. Obviously, when he comes home, it's after work at the Grove.
0: Yeah, I... I... Again. It's not like... It's just... The whole thing is just, its just really rough around the edges. It's a little inept overall in the way the storytelling is structured. Um, the writing is just real, like, supermarket paperback. It's not its not challenging. I'd never really... I didn't read any section of this book and, and feel like, oh, that's a nice turn of phrase. You know, like... Nope, it's... I'm going to tell you right now, you know what? You know what I thought about as I was... Because I was, as I was reading this, I was like, "Oh yeah, this is a real quick read because it's just so like pedestrian." I was like, you "Know what I kind of miss?"
1: What do you miss, Paris?
0: <sighs> I kind of miss some Rich Shapiro phrases.
1: <laughs> <laughs> wow!
0: Not from oh, wild wow.
1: animus.
0: <laughs> Not from wild animus, but from too far.
1: I, I Some can, of that you know writing yeah. was beautiful, Chris yeah. Some of it was really good Yeah, there was a couple parts in there that would outclass anything in this book
0: That's what I'm saying Like My brain was like, oh god, I just want to read a nice simile Where's Swamplandia? <laughs> Swamplandia, come back Oh, that's No, a great how about
1: book. I'm the I'm the emotion sponge you see As a psychotherapist, I must <laughs> soak up
0: I just, I don't know Like, I don't know I don't want to sit here, like I said we're not like we 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 have said this on the show before. We're not here to fucking crush people's dreams or make people feel bad, but like we do hope that people think about this shit before they write another goddamn novel. Because like,
1: don't do unreliable narrators so, and twists like this so cheaply. Like,
0: Yeah. you got to work for it. And just because you're really into Greek myths doesn't mean you need to fucking shoehorn it into your book in a way that makes no fucking sense. Like, I like the Alcestis is cool. Like, it's a fine, you know, it's a Greek tragedy. There's a ton of those. But, like,
1: it fundamentally snaps in half Theo's thought process because he's so mystified by it the whole time What he should be. (laughs)
0: Yeah. I mean, that just doesn't make sense. I.
1: Even it took him, like, a while to, like, get, like, he realizes it's a a play when, like, he gets invited to a production of Alcestis. You don't think, if it's such a mystery for you, you would have typed Alcestis into Google? And, like, right away, as soon as you heard about the painting and figured out, oh, that's, like, the thing I made that lady do. What does it mean?
0: Yeah, I... I don't, I don't get it.
1: Ugh. All right, Paris. Can we fix it?
0: I think, yeah. I mean, I think that, like... Yeah, I think that, um... For... I think if we... Well, I have four main points outlined here. Um, or f- f- Actually, five. So, I think this could be fixed. Um, but, like, does... I don't know. Does the world need another psychological thriller about a murder, cheating, murder, mentally ill, patient... I don't know. Technically, it could be fixed. So, number one, the diary entries. For the love of fucking God, they need to read, like, an actual diary. They shouldn't have verbatim dialogue the same voice as the narrator and someone shouldn't be writing in their diary as they are escaping from someone breaking into their home because that is something that
1: happens (laughs) the castle of uh, (laughs) is what's happening here essentially
0: (laughs) yeah it's it's just so it really pulls you out of the element like when you're reading it you know you're trying to get into this book and then you're like oh I'm supposed to be reading a diary but this is like reading any other part of the book uh, it doesn't make sense um secondly my second point is actually a four-part point that just says the story needs to be more believable and this covers all the things we just talked about so a the murder why would anyone believe their longtime stalker who just broke into their house and tied them up that their spouse was cheating on them and also believe them so hard that they immediately shot their spouse in the face five times <laughs> I don't know if I need to go over any other No, part of that.
1: that's pretty self-evident, I would say.
0: Um, yeah. Secondly, the Alcestis connection just seems kind of like a stretch to include. I understand, you know, it's... Yeah, it's cool to include, but, like, I don't know. Um...
1: It, again just, it, it for... breaks theo's whole inner monologue that one thing alone just renders all... he's just lying for no reason to himself why is he hunting this down as the central mystery when he knows for a fact what happened
0: yeah um and and again i just i don't know it just doesn't seem organic to me that's that's the thing i dislike about it. it doesn't seem organic um and and again we, we like just talked about that so i don't think i need to go on anymore uh the third aspect of story needs to be more believable is the audience uh we also just talked about this so it's like it would make so much more sense if we were if we were reading this book as though we were a friend or his therapist or a wife that he was talking to or like someone he worked with at the grove but instead, we're meant to believe we're just in his head, hearing his internal monologue, which makes no fucking sense because he doesn't have multiple personalities. It's literally just his own thoughts. Why would he be thinking this way to himself as though he has nothing to do with this crime and isn't a stalker? Like, it again, we just talked about this, but it, it's just a, a cheap way to surprise the reader and it really should have been done in a different way. Like, it would have been so much more compelling if the book was, like, written from the perspective of someone he started working with at the Grove or, like, his wife or a friend or even his therapist or something. Um, and, and then you, like, slowly learn that this person that you thought you knew is just lying to you all the time. <laughs> like, maybe it would have been a better angle. Um. And then Alicia's whole motivations and all of this is my fourth prong of story. The story needs to be more believable pitchfork. Um, like Alicia's painting in the grove, her diary, and the fact that she gives it to Theo, and then her not talking and then talking like why do any of this? What is the benefit of endearing yourself to him if you know he was your stalker or assailant? I said, you know, maybe maybe she was just bored and recognized the benefits of not being heavily medicated and like getting what she wants at the grove i I kind of understand that, but It all backfires because he puts her into a fucking coma at the end.
1: Yeah, that's how Theo gets caught because she hides the diary in the Theo bringing her out of the hospital painting that's still, I guess, just like on display somewhere in the grove. And the detective on the case after she gets put into the coma finds it and the incriminating uh, passage she put in there as she was being put under or like shortly before he showed up to put her under or something. She realized...
0: No, actually i was like just yeah theo just left i am alone i'm writing this as fast as i can i haven't got much time i've got to get this down while i still have the strength
1: okay yeah so he literally puts her sticks her with the coma juice and she writes out a full description of what happened
0: yeah pre-coma yeah, it...
1: <laughs> excuse I'm me just...
0: yeah so i yeah i think that i think this just needed a little more time to just stay i think this needed some more drafts, I think maybe different people needed to look at it.
1: Maybe Quite Uma should of... have helped a little bit more with, with her cover yeah, come suggestions. Come on, Uma!
0: You're fucking let me down. I like I like Uma Thurman. Uh, she's a great actress. Maybe actually, she did
1: have a lot of notes and he just kept the painter part in.
0: Actually, if you haven't seen, uh, there's a Netflix series called Chambers, and Uma Thurman is in it. She doesn't show up till a little bit into the series, but um, it was a slow burn, but I did really enjoy it. I thought it was very interesting and it stars a lot of native actors, um, which I I feel like a lot of, uh, they kind of get pushed out of mainstream media. So good to support those folks uh chambers watch it uh thanks for that
1: uma no thanks for this one whatever hand you had in this (laughs) the painting part yeah um i pretty much back up all your points you pretty much said it there's like the meat of a possibly good like supermarket shelf thriller over here nothing amazing but you know something at least mildly entertaining if you rewrote those parts Uh, but the the unreliable narrator misuse here is just a I it's one of the worst writing sins I've ever seen in terms of how to handle a twist by far. Mm,
0: yeah, it was really it was really unfortunately quite lazy. Um but all that being said, this was this guy's first novel. He's a screenwriter, so like I kind of I understand how he fell into all of these traps. Like I totally get. Yeah. It, but hopefully take another swing happen. at it,
1: buddy. Again,
0: yeah, I I I think the thing that really bothers me so much is that there are so many extremely positive reviews about this book. Yeah. And I'm just like, what? I don't get it either. (laughs) What? Yeah. It has like four to five stars everywhere you look. I only saw one review of it that was critical. And I was like, wow, that's really surprising. I just...
1: Rebecca yeah. also searched for silent patient critique on Google and found nothing, and she was very distraught by that because she was worried about how this was presenting models of therapy to people and them just accepting that that's mm. how it might work.
0: Yeah, I mean, and I think we also have to consider that this is a different country, and perhaps, perhaps England is just still the wild, wild west when it comes to <laughs> mental health. I don't know.
1: I don't like, think so.
0: I mean, I wouldn't either, but like you know, I'm I guess I'm just saying we're not all knowing mental health experts, but still um yeah, it it is definitely concerning in that way and I like I said it you don't want to continue to perpetuate these harmful ideas about patient care and mental illness and I that is something that does really actually that should have been on my list of can we fix it? Sorry, that's another element that Yes. Definitely needs to be changed. More like, interaction
1: with non-violent patients and humanizing mental health patients yeah. perhaps?
0: Yeah, maybe like just a different setting entirely for this, you know. <laughs> uh so yeah. Don't uh so yeah, don't read The Silent Patient. I, w- I don't think that this is really worth your time. It
1: wasn't. It was for sure wasn't. Um thank you to Rebecca for recommending our, this book to us, but we do not recommend it to you. Huh.
0: No, I mean, I think if even if you're just looking for a quick thriller read, I mean, there's plenty of other shit out there. Um, this isn't certainly is not. It's not. It's not ranked as like one of our worst ones, but I still don't think it's worth your time to read. Like I said, the writing didn't do anything for me.
1: you can spend story. your time better elsewhere.
0: Yeah, yeah. Story was kind of a mess. It's just, eh. Yeah. So. Sorry, but don't read this one. Um, So, yeah. I think this was the first book like this that we've read, though. So that was a a nice change of pace. True. Um, A couple... uh, What do we got for... We got any housekeeping to discuss?
1: Not really. I mean, we've got one more month left in 2019.
0: Uh, This episode should be airing just before Thanksgiving. Uh, So we can talk a little bit about uh maybe our thanksgiving plans and then talk about uh december episodes sure okay
1: um i mean you can do that part oh <laughs> cuz i don't know the thanksgiving plans
0: <laughs> i was talking about our individual plans for thanksgiving
1: oh <laughs> oh no
0: have a secret <laughs> lair with thanksgiving plans and like a bat suit like i
1: oh I, I was planning on uh making a whole bunch of mac and cheese for my family for thanksgiving that's my plan
0: oh that's <laughs> great actually
1: yeah i kind of thought like hey maybe i'll let my mom just handle the bird this year and i'll do all the other stuff
0: Oh, that's cool. That's nice of you. Honestly, I have the
1: ulterior motive of mac and cheese has not been a thing at my family Thanksgiving for for at, at any point, and I want it to become a thing, so I'm taking matters into my own hands, and I'll say, I'll do all the sides and salads and cranberry sauce, but we're also going to have this mac and cheese that i make it here.
0: Chris is reshaping Thanksgiving. I
1: am. <laughs> I'm coming in and shaking things up for my family Thanksgiving. Well,
0: I was actually looking forward to spending Thanksgiving with y'all, but instead um i am going to montreal i'm going to mess more it's a black metal music festival um so i'm going to be having poutine for (laughs) thanksgiving dinner with some of my friends um uh yeah i'm i'm excited a bunch of my friends uh one of my guitarists and like a bunch of our other friends do this every year and i just have never been able to go because of work um but now you know i have a normal job and i have i can take the time off so i'm gonna go enjoy that it's gonna be fun um seeing some bands i'm really excited about like uh make a change kill yourself uh that, that's uh i'm realizing that bringing up that band in light of this episode is uh counterintuitive sure perhaps but um uh pretty
1: good metal band name
0: make a change kill yourself is uh Uh, obviously a depressive suicidal black metal band Mm -hmm. Uh, but um, anyway uh, get to see them get to see Monarch QUE they're excellent Uh, Cult of Fire um, who else there's a band with a made up name that I can't pronounce because it's not a real word Paris Uh, all band names
1: are made up I don't know if (laughs) anyone's told you this yet
0: (laughs) well no but I mean they created a word that doesn't exist so that's that's different uh i can't i starts with an m i can't fucking remember what it is uh i don't remember
1: I mean, a lot of other oh, bands man. do that you got your carnivores perhaps that that do <laughs> what Carnival? k-a-r-n-i-v-o-o-l <laughs> they're actually really fucking good they have a stupid name but they're is... really good you might actually okay, so like, they're like
0: so they're like funeral fuck yes stupid name amazing band <laughs> God, so funeral fuck and carnival. Yeah,
1: listen, I, I know it sounds like it's an ICP affiliate kind of thing, <laughs> but it's not at all yes, that. Yes,
0: it does. Okay, so um God, I was trying to think of other other uh, I'm also seeing Spectral Wound. Um, I'm trying to think of some other oh wow, I think I'm just like uh, oh, um how could I forget Shitha? Uh yeah, so 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 a lot of great, great black metal bands. Uh but yeah, non black metal I guess listen to Carnival and Funeral Fuck <laughs> F-F-V-N-E-R-A-L-F-V-K-K. again. <F-vurn> sounds, <laughs> it sounds I know it's going to take I'm going to I'm just going to I'm going to beg you if you're into if you're into epic doom metal like the style of music that my band plays Concilium uh or if you're into like Candlemass or Solitude Eternus or Uh, Scald, uh, Checkout Funeral Fuck. They're they're liturgical epic doom. They're fucking great. I just wish they had a different name. I don't know how you would describe Carnival, Chris.
1: Um, prog metal.
0: Other than Dracula trying to say Carnival. (laughs) It's... it's, Carnival! If
1: you like, like, Devin Townsend Project (laughs) or, like, Anathema, you you might be into them. Oh, whoa,
0: Anathema, that's a very different uh, thing to include I, when I think of anathema I just think of distant satellites and weeping on my floor uncontrollably so that's
1: carnival that's... okay carnival is good dream theater let's put it that way
0: <laughs> okay all right
1: um on I've been working on my own music so much that I don't really have much recommendations for uh music that I've been listening to except I've been really into this one artist called pong man who makes really <laughs> cool electronic stuff. He's got a song right. called Oxygen, and it's it's rad. It's been on repeat for my playlist of, like, going to work a lot.
0: Well, if we're talking about just, like, stuff we're listening to, I've been listening to uh, a couple of Judas Priest songs because I'm preparing for, potentially preparing for a cover for uh, for an, an upcoming show, and uh, Priest is really challenging for me because I don't do a lot of highs, so doing a Halford it's a tough one. Been really into uh, specifically Defenders of the Faith is the album I've been listening to a lot. So, um, anyway, that was kind of. A Have you been listening ran- to the
1: the main version of the album or the one with the Patriots logo on the cover?
0: <laughs> if anyone, if you look up uh, Defenders of the Faith on YouTube, there is a series of videos where the the background image, like the static image while the music plays, is like the album. The image from the album cover, but there's Patriots logos pasted on the shoulders as though the, like, I don't know, Megatron or whatever it is. Mecha Tiger.
1: It's cover. a Mecha Tiger.
0: It's a Mecha Tiger. It's, like, also a Patriots <laughs> linebacker or something. And it's 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 even funnier because you it's hard to see because the colors are so similar that you don't even notice it the first couple of times. But there's a a little note in the text under the video that's like, please stop messaging me. I know. I'm sorry. I didn't realize there were Patriots (laughs) logos on it.
1: Um, Hilarious.
0: So anyway. Uh, So yeah. So sorry about that musical digression.
1: How about we Uh, thank some patrons?
0: Yeah. Um, Actually, how about we talk about December real quick? Oh, yeah. So we are doing kind of a crossover thing with our our friends over at the Amazon book club. Uh, They are another book club podcast out of new york um so we are going to be doing uh kind of a we're, we're each reading a book from the same series uh it's a christmas themed shitty book series um the abc dudes are going to be reading the first book in that series and then chris and i have chosen uh another random book in the series so that's going to be fun uh and then we have uh we have something special going on for the end of december
1: it's craft time on oh. terrible book club we have, on. we have we proc- have get your hot glue yeah. yeah we've procured a book of holiday crafts and we will be attempting a craft or two or perhaps three probably two um, There will be a video segment of us attempting to do these crafts on our Patreon. <laughs> so if you are a $5 or above Patreon subscriber, get ready for some uh, craft antics from yeah, your Terrible I Book guess, Club friends. For- I guess
0: we'll decide if we want to make the video publicly available in the holiday spirit. But we'll decide later, depending on how funny it is. Um. So, yeah, so we're going to be suffering through some old-school American Christmas craft bullshit. Uh, that includes recipes, by the way. Yep. <laughs> so, oh, so yeah. Uh, December is going to be a fun one. Uh, and then, hopefully, we'll be able to take our little sabbatical like we did last year, where we kind of took, like, six weeks off from TBC by pre-recording a bunch of episodes over the holiday break. Uh, we are hoping... Do that again so you will not experience any interruption in your TBC feed. That TBC drip will just be <laughs>
1: steadily going
0: steady every other Tuesday. But Paris and Chris in real life are going to be pre recording all that shit so we can take a fucking break. Not that we don't love y'all and love doing the show, but man, sometimes it's, I just it's, it's nice to have a, a little space. Yeah. Um, need a reset so. Yeah, so I guess uh we'll see uh we'll see uh um like we always do every other Tuesday, but uh we may be pre recording some things, so apologies if there's like some weird inconsistencies in what we talk about because we recorded something like two months ahead of schedule. Yeah, when the aliens <laughs> invade in
1: January and we're not talking about it. Like, yeah, <laughs>
0: sorry. Um, so yeah. Uh so of course thank you to our Patreon supporters, so thank you. Dari, Greg, Will, Veronica, D, Jared, Lynn, Sina, Jakub, Torben, a.k.a. Duck King, Bobby Black Cat, Ayame, Jensina, Mayo Cat, and Elliot. If you too want to help support the show, you can head over to patreon.com join slash terrible book club to become a patron. Uh, you can become a patron at the dollar a month tier, $5 a month, or $10 a month. Um, at $5 or $10 a month, that's when you get access to all of our extra content, so you can get audio files of us watching weird stuff like movies related to books we've seen or books books we've read on the podcast um, or Netflix shows things like that Uh, you can also catch video segments of us kind of doing some improv about bad books you can listen to the show on the radio public app that's going to passively generate income for the show so if you can't contribute to us directly you can listen to the show on there it's a free app And every time you listen to a show on the Radio Public app, we get a couple of cents, and then we get an extra dollar bonus if you listen to three episodes in a row. So that's really helpful for us. Thank you to everyone that's been doing that lately. I've noticed a lot of you doing that, so much appreciated. Uh, You can also just leave a review on iTunes or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts, and finally, just share the episodes and links to the show on social media. You can tell friends, coworkers, if appropriate. Uh, So yeah, that's that's it. Um, And remember that we like to hear from you, so... If you want to interact with us, you can send us an email at terriblebookclub@gmail.com. at gmail.com. You can also send us messages on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, or you can follow us on Goodreads. So, we, uh, yeah, we hope to hear from you soon, and we'll see you next time.
1: Bye, Paris.